Y'all, today you are in for a treat. If you are an entrepreneur or you have a side hustle or you've ever dreamed of starting your own thing, this conversation is going to inspire the heck out of you. I know it did me. I have wanted to interview Liz Lambert forever. She's sort of an icon here in Austin, Texas. And the things that she has been able to build here in Austin are unbelievable, not just in terms of their scale, but also in terms of the way they feel, their aesthetic, and the incredible branding that her team is known for. I got to sit down with Liz at Rise Conference, and I wanted you to have the chance to hear our chat, even if you weren't there with us in person. So this is my conversation with Liz Lambert. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast, I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I am so pumped. I have wanted to interview you forever. And I feel like this is magic, and I'm so excited, and I'm so glad that you're we here. We could have just met for coffee and right. talked. Right. <laughs> we'll do that later. I, I think, you know, I've wanted to meet you for so long because I think anytime you admire a business, at least for me as an entrepreneur, my, admire a business, and I know this sounds terrible, but like the surprise and the awe and the inspiration when you discover that it was built by a woman, for me as <laughs> a female entrepreneur, is, actually... is like so amazing. So will you tell the audience uh, your story? Like, how did you get here? Oh, it's so long. <laughs> the condensed okay, version the of how you version. got here. Let's see. I'm from West Texas, but I went to law school at UT. And then after law school, I started at the uh, um, DA's office in Manhattan. So it was... a uh, Wow. prosecutor for a while. And then I moved back here and I took a job. You know, it, it's, you can only stay in New York so long as a <laughs> right. Texan, right? And I moved back here and started work for the attorney general's office. So I was a trial lawyer. And I kept thinking this isn't exactly what I want to do. I was traveling a lot all over Texas, living in Motel 6s, trying cases. And I didn't know exactly what it was, but I was so happy to be back in Austin it was the late 90s, and I would go to the Continental Club a lot. You guys, if, you guys from Austin know that uh, on South Congress, there's a live music venue that's legendary, and I spent a lot of time there on a bar stool, looking out the window that was right behind me at a little seafoam green motel. And back then, South, there was nothing on South Congress. There was a couple of businesses open, no cars on the street, just, it was crickets. And, but there was this little seafoam green motel that looked empty, pretty much. I kept wondering about it, and I kept thinking that would be so cool to run a motel. It, basically, I, I thought about it a lot. I never did anything about it. And I had a friend who got really sick with HIV and then AIDS. Again, it was 
uh, mid, late 90s. And when he died, I remember where I was in San Francisco on a trip with my mom. And I remember at that moment, I thought, I should do something about this thing I've always been thinking about. Because if I don't, you know, life is short. I'll never know. I'll always wonder. And I went, actually, I went and kind of looked around a little bit and it looked like nobody was there. What I didn't know at the time was that there were people there. They just didn't have cars or luggage right. or come out during the day a lot, you know. <laughs> and it was 30 bucks a night. Oh. And um, I, I basically knocked on the door and it was a Taiwanese couple that had the, the motel and they were going to put it in the Chinese newspaper the next week. Wow. Um, and I was like, don't do that. They had, a, they had a daughter who was in medical school in Houston and they were going to move to Houston. I got a realtor and I got my, talked to my mom into it. I still can't believe I talked my mom into co-signing a note with me. <laughs> and it was $500,000 and I didn't know what I was going to do for money. But, um, I, you know, a lot of times I've, been, I've done things that I didn't, I did them because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. If I'd known how hard it was, I might not have done it, but um, that was one of them. Yeah. So I, I thought I could just go to the bank and get a loan and I thought, I'm smart, this will be fine. And I, like, banks thought it was a terrible idea to open a motel on South Congress because it was basically like hookers and junkies and nobody was really gonna wanna go stay and in South Congress. And it's worth saying, because we have people watching this from all over the world, uh, if you're not familiar, it is, is probably the most famous street in our town. Um, I it would was say, not then. Right, <laughs> and so that's what I want you to understand is this was real vision. It's like where the boutiques are, where the restaurants are, it's the cool place to be. It is hopping right now on Labor Day weekend. Yeah. But to have the vision back then, did you think the street could be something? I you don't know that I had the vision back okay. then. I really, it was smaller and you know, it was, I thought maybe I could redo this 24 room hotel room by room and uh, that, you know, I could charge 75 bucks a night and that, people that were coming to Austin or lived in the neighborhood might want to stay there. It, it turned out to be a terrible idea, by the way, because to raise the rent to 75 bucks, what I didn't, didn't occur to me at the time is that people that are paying those rates are looking for a Motel 6, right, on the highway. It's like mom and pop in a van or whoever it is people traveling along, and they're going to see billboards or they're going to be parts of, part of a rewards program. They're not going to get off the highway and travel into downtown Austin to sleep next to the crack dealer in the other room, right? Oh my gosh. It was a bad plan. Yeah. In other words, I don't know where I was gonna get the marketing dollars to convince them of that. Right. Yeah, and none of which I had. So it took me a lot longer than I thought it would. I ended up quitting my job at the HE's office and started working at the front desk. And um, that way I could devote myself more to write, trying to write a business plan. Banks saw it as a high risk po- proposition, which they were right. Turns out banks are risk averse. Yeah. <laughs> and I had no business background whatsoever. I remember I went through college at UT with, I mean, I did everything to avoid a math class. Like I, like I went and took Greek and Latin. There was a little loophole where you didn't have to take math. <laughs> and so I found it. And then I found myself back at the, going to business school to audit classes so I could try to figure out how to write a business plan and understand numbers. But... So did I hear that when you bought the motel, did you live in it? No, I didn't. Okay. I basically was there all the time. Okay. And, um, While you were refurbishing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was there all the time. And there was a plexiglass 
front, and there was a little vestibule you went into, and you slid your money under the under the thing, and you could still sometimes smell the vodka. Right. And that was just from my side. Right, right. <laughs> the fumes were coming out. So, okay, did you have sort of, you do this thing, did you ever have like a holy shit moment where oh, you're yes. like, what did I just do? So many times. Like, again, I didn't know what I didn't know, which is kind of what led me. If I knew that it was going to be that banks wouldn't believe in, you know, what I thought was a great idea or that it was going to take years or that I was going to be making, you know, just, you know, trying to get by. And, I mean, there were so it took like three years to get a loan, finally. And there were so many nights that I laid awake and thought about selling it mm. and, like, some way out, trying to figure out, should I, should I not? But I am very tenacious at the end of the day. And so, you know, those are middle-of-the-night thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, I found my way eventually. It was, I learned a lot. And like I said, I went back to, I audited a lot of business classes. I talked to a lot of people. I, you know, and actually it did give me, it, that three years, two and a half, three years, did start to see a little bit of change in South Congress. Uh, a couple of a big Mexican food restaurant came in. You know, by the time we actually opened the doors of the San Jose, the San Jose was the first hotel I did. It was March of 2000. And we were the ones that was, were the, you know, in the year before or so, the blight on the street. The things were starting to be cleaned up. Mm. I was just, it was good timing. It was sort of urban infill that Austin was starting to grow a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of the work that you've done, I tend to think the word that pops into my head is you create experiences. Mm -hmm. There's lots of places you can get a room and right. stay but you really are creating very unique curated experiences in your properties. Was that something from Jump Street or is that something you developed over time? I definitely developed over time, but it was sort of intuitive and it was also the people that I surrounded myself with mm. when, I, when we first started. I, I decided that I didn't wanna hire anybody that had any hotel experience, also good and bad. Um, but, and now, I look for people with hotel experience, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still convinced that if you understand hospitality and you understand how to anticipate somebody's needs, you can learn the hotel business. But um, we do need people that actually understand a few things right. about uh, rooms. But I, you know, to me, it was uh, it was just interesting. It was like I wanted the the best places I've stayed. And the best experiences I've had in hotels were where were totally immersive ones. And so that was sort of natural, like thinking about what, what color is, what's the soundtrack, what's the smell, what's yeah. the, you know, it, it's really about storytelling. There's that part of it. And then the other part is what makes a place continue to be relevant and or interesting and to me, that's when you engage with the community and the people around you and the artists and the folks in the neighborhood. And, you know, when I was growing up in West Texas, the hotel downtown was where my granddad, who was a rancher, would do business or get mm -hmm. his shoes shined or go meet with somebody, smoke a cigar and read the paper. Um, it was about, he was curious about people. I remember going as a little girl with him to sit there and you could smell the leather couches and the cigar smoke. And it was, a, people used hotels as meeting places and as parts of communities. And I've 
So my vision of that is a little different than a hotel in downtown Odessa with cigar smoke and a barbershop, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's the same idea, really. Yeah. So you have the very first property. At what point did things start to turn where you were like, oh, holy crap, this is a business? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, my God. I remember seeing the first uh, P&Ls. You, you look at a profit and loss statement to understand how things are going in a business, and I had no idea what one was, really. I mean, I kind of knew, but understanding that I had to understand. Again, my timing was good with the San Jose on South Congress. Things were starting to move. Austin was growing. And so, you know, at first, we got a couple of comment cards like, can I curse? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, um, I, like, we put comment cards in the rooms, and one of the first ones was, this is the most fucking expensive garage I've ever stayed in. <laughs> because... Oh, I wish you had framed that. I think I still have it. Okay. Because we had concrete floors, right? And so there weren't many hotels. There yeah. wasn't a thing, you right. know? Right. So, um, <laughs> you, like, I think that when it was... You know, it was definitely a struggle in the beginning. There were actually two investors that started to, I got in, you know, back and forth with, and I had to really, um, I don't, that's a longer story. <laughs> um, I think when people started approaching me and asking me to do other projects, it's when I was like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing, or at least, even though I don't, I'm curious enough to figure it out, and I can, I can figure it out. I mean, I've always thought I can figure this out. Somehow, yeah. You know? I like the word curious too. I think there's something, you know, obviously words have power. And you could say, I'm I won't quit. I have resilience. I have, but there's something playful about the word curiosity yeah. that makes it seem like because I think a lot of times in business, at least for me, and I mean this with all respect, for me it, I'm it feels a bit like a game. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can think of it as a game, it won't overwhelm me. Right. And so I'm like, okay, there's a way that I can, there's an equation, and if I figure it, let me try this, and let me figure out that. And when something starts to click, and you get into that flow, that's when it really starts to explode. Yep. But if you scare yourself with the words that you're using or how big this all is, you're never going to get the opportunity to get to that yeah. place. I always tell Aaron to fake it until you make it. A hundred percent. I mean, it's like it's the only way, because you are, you know, I started where the stakes weren't high. I mean, the hotel was $500,000. The stakes were really high for me at the time. They, they were. But, you know, you think of it now, and you can't find a house in Austin for that. But, right. And also, nobody had great expectations of me. I, and I thought I was just doing something in the neighborhood. I had no idea that I would grow a whole company. It's, it helps for the stakes not to be as high, but they don't, you know, it's, you're sort of making it up as you go along. Yeah. And um, curiosity is incredibly important if you want to do something differently than what's already in the industry. Right. So as you continue to grow in properties, which I assume really started, you're doing things locally in Austin, right. and then it continues to grow. How? Like, how in the world do you start to expand and go into another country? Oh. How in the world? Like, how every sort of you level up, but you level up in these massive ways. <laughs> also good and bad. I, again, surrounded myself with really good people that I trusted. I don't think there's any way to scale up unless you have people on your team that you absolutely trust to do something, to answer any question or do things in your absence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes time and it takes time to find those people. 
but once you do, it makes uh, it so much more, you're so much more able to do more. Right. And, you know, I learned as I went. I've, I've never stopped. I mean, at any given day, I'm reading and thinking and uh, trying to learn about the business and how we could do it differently or what is it I really want to do. Yeah. Sometimes growth for growth's sake isn't so great. You know, and I kind of fell into that trap for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of everyone going, this is great. Keep yeah, going. Keep Make going, it right? bigger. Yeah. 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 And, and never, and you just react rather than be proactive. Right. You know, and right. it's, it's flattering at first when things, people are coming with all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I'm telling you, in the hotel business, you will look at 20 or 30 projects before one of them really goes. Mm. So there's a lot of just chasing. Well, I'm curious too, in, in, you've done this for so many years now, how, like, do you still get, I know you have a new project, which I'm really excited to hear about, because I think mm -hmm. Aaron said it's in an orphanage? Oh, it's in an oh, yeah. oh, that is for sure. Kimberly needs to go through there and clear <laughs> that out for you guys. Um, but how do you, do you get as excited about each new project? Oh, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's it's, something. It doesn't make sense if I'm not. Right. You know? Right. I don't want to do it if I'm not excited. Yeah. About it. So how do you keep that fire alive for the iteration in something that's so grounded in the same industry? Again, I think that, you know, a, a lot of the projects I've done have been um, existing buildings where you're re reimagining a building. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've done a few things ground up, but I think uh, for me, I'm a big fan of listening to the place. There's a, there's a writer, uh, architectural writer named Christopher Alexander that I really, really love who talks about the places where you feel most whole are places that are of the place. Where you feel most complete is when a... a uh, a place is, makes most sense because it's built of the materials of the area. It's from the place. You're not, it's like the opposite of putting a Tuscan village in the suburbs. You right. Know? right? Yeah. You know, you're like, where did that come from? But um, actually looking at the materiality, well, you know, what you're using to build with, but also talking to the people in the neighborhood and understanding the history of a place as well. And so... I, again, I think I'm a storyteller at the end of the day. And yeah. I think we are, if you're doing the hotel business right or hospitality right in general, restaurant or whatever it is, I think you're telling a story. Yeah. And so in order to tell that story, you've got to have a hook. You've got to figure out what it is. Yeah. For, because for me, if I don't have that base story or idea, every decision is a new one. And I don't want every decision, I want to know what the answer is. Like you can tell we have a hotel or I had a hotel and I still own part. It's very confusing. I did a hotel, how about, and they're called the St. Cecilia in Austin. Mm -hmm. And telling the story of who the guest is and what the image I have in my mind, which was of the sort of rock and roll meets decadence meets luxury. And um, it was, I had an image of like the stones uh, exile on Main Street or Beggar's Banquet style. Mm. Then you know what the silverware is. You know what the robe is going to look like. You know what uh, 
you just decisions start flowing from yes. there, you know, what the smell is. But in Mexico, when we did the hotel in Mexico called the San Cristobal, it, it's sort of like a poem, too. If you think about a poem with meter and rhyme and uh, whether it be a sonnet or something like that, they're rules. So if I can set those rules, then I don't have to go all over the place. I can just say, here's the box in a good way that yeah. I'm working in. So in Mexico, we had to have everything made in Mexico. We couldn't import it, every, anything. So it ended up that I went up into the mountains of Oaxaca to do bedspreads, found a really incredible artist that weaves rugs. We had all the furniture made in Guadalajara and Puebla. And, you know, it just was a labor of love. We learned a, an old technique that uh, in the town of Todos Santos they used to press uh, designs into flooring that there was, we had to find somebody older who actually remembered how to do it. But it's that kind of stuff. And that's really fun to me. Yeah. Do you always start with <clears throat> the ideal guests for that specific property? Is that, are you starting sort of with that end in mind? We do, you know, we actually do a thing called experience mapping where you actually sit down and say, who would the guest be? Yeah. You know, is it somebody at a bachelorette party? Is it somebody traveling for business from, you know, this region? And we go, we create a few different guests and then we go through their experience of how they booked all the way through the hotel so that we can imagine that. We also... I've also always done market studies, not in the, you know, you can readily available as a lot of information um, that are just numbers, but yeah. trying to talk to everybody in the neighborhood and trying to talk to what would, how would the neighborhood use a hotel? Yeah. Wherever you are. I think that a lot of times, you know, entrepreneurs forget the most important piece, which is who is the customer or the client. You yeah. get so excited about starting the business that you don't think about who the business is for. And you also, I think, can get confused into believing that everyone is a potential yeah, customer that's, or client, and they're not. that's a mistake, not. too, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's yeah. overly broad. You don't have a point of view then, right? Yeah. And I love, I mean, this was a really good piece of advice, if you entrepreneurs didn't get this, that Liz said, if she knows who that, that customer is, that guest is, then she knows the answer to every question. Right. She knows which fork. She knows the candle. She knows the bedding. Because right. if you have a really clear idea in mind. So, like, I have a very clear idea in mind about who this event is for. And then we think every part of it through the lens of what's going to need to be in place in order to show up for you guys. Um, so, I love That's that clear. Piece. That's absolutely right. It's, yeah. It's good. Yeah. So, tell me about the new property. Because um, it sounds really awesome, especially because the first thing I said when Aaron told me, I was like, yeah, there's not all respect. New Orleans has these amazing <laughs> historical properties. That's right. But it doesn't have anything curated and cool and thought, like, it doesn't have anything like what you do. So right. did, is that why y'all chose the city? Well, the city kind actually, speaking of Aaron, Aaron kind of found it. Um, I was on, a, I had an old company called Bunkhouse, and mm-hmm. I'm now with MML Hospitality as a partner there. But when I was at Bunkhouse, we did a, a presentation in a market study presentation to the, I will leave them unnamed, some hotel people, some dudes. <laughs> like really arrogant. Right, right. So arrogant. Right. Anyway, we did this presentation and that we had poured our heart and soul into and they were so rude um, and were like texting and not looking and like totally, and it was a bad experience, but it was actually 
one of those great moments because you're like, oh, here's the answer of whether we want to work with them right. or not. It's so clear, just telling me who you are right away. I didn't have to wait six months. Yeah. And when I'm in it, and then it's bad. And so uh, my, my colleague, Bobby, and Aaron and I were walking down the street. Aaron had just come to look around New Orleans. And we were walking down the street, and she said, what's that place? We were just walking down Magazine, and it turned, it is now the Hotel uh, uh, St. Vincent, and it was the St. Vincent's Infant Asylum before that. At the time we saw it first, it was a guest house, but uh, it was built in the 1860s, so during the Civil War. Wow. As an orphanage, the plague was going on, and it was actually built by a woman. It's a oh, really rad. interesting story. It was a, a woman uh, named Margaret Howery, you, if you are... Uh, Irish, you say that in a better way than I just said that. <laughs> yeah. um, and she came through uh, Ellis Island, as, sometimes as a former prosecutor. I want to say Rikers Island, and that's wrong, too. <laughs> <laughs> she came through Ellis Island with her family and married at 17, had a baby. Like I said, the plague was going on, and so she and her husband moved to New Orleans to try to help his health. He ended up dying, and so did the baby. And she was 17, 18, got a job as a laundress in a hotel. It's a much longer story, but basically she started tithing uh, to, to the Sisters of Charity for um, orphans because she, her parents had died too in the plague. She was an orphan, and she'd lost her baby. She ended up buying a cow with her, like, not very much money to get milk for the orphans, and... One thing led to another, again, longer story, but she became one of the wealthiest women in New Orleans. Whoa. Um, and she was known as the bread lady of New Orleans because she also bought a bakery at one point, and she continued to be out on the street giving bread away into all the communities of New Orleans. There was uh, a free slave community. There was Italian community. There was a, a whole Jewish section of town, and um, she was all over the place, um, serving anybody in need. And um, she paid for three orphanages in New Orleans. One became Anne Rice's house later, (laughs) which is also (laughs) perfect. That's a good house, I've seen that in videos. But this one um, stayed as an orphanage and a home for unwed mothers through the 70s. Wow. And then became uh, a guest house, and guest house is generous. I mean, again, Back to my roots, the housekeepers were definitely turning tricks. You know? yeah. <laughs> and but it was like $60 a night. Right, of yeah, a little bit. Because time L- had yeah, gone Yeah, on a little bit more expensive. <laughs> yeah. uh, what I find so beautiful as you're talking about each property, I don't know if you guys are catching this too, is you're a historian. Oh, yeah. You're well, preserving you have to understand. the history of the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have to understand, yeah. but I don't know that... Everybody else does. The Hilton is worried about (laughs) (laughs) preserving the history of a community. It's true. I mean, if you're thinking about going out and finding a Mexican artisan who remembers how to stamp the floor in a certain way, and you know all the way back where this thing came from, and you're pulling that into your storytelling, you're preserving the history, is that, like, did you ever think that you would be here in this way, showing up? in this space like this? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like it's sort of, uh, like, do you feel like that history is who you are even outside of this work? Yeah, I think that um, I'm, I am curious, and um, it's, inf- and I also 
meaning is important in what I do every day to me. And it's infinitely more interesting to, I'm, I'm always asking questions. And so I'm bound to find out sooner or later. Right. Explain what do you mean meaning is important to me? You know, I've never, I would really hate a life in which work was just work. And then you came home and you did this other thing. I understand for some people that makes perfect sense. And yeah. a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people don't just, you know, want to work and just be done with it. And then, so it's no, no judgment there. Just for me, I, because I work a lot and I, I travel a lot and I, it's really important to me to, to find meaning in that work and with the people that I'm working with and, and the experience that we deliver. Right. You know? The, the, the thing that I'm latching on to here and that I'm admiring so much, and I, y'all, I love men. I'm raising three of them. <laughs> like, I'm here for it. But what I love is that there is a difference in the women that I have encountered that have achieved incredible success and the men. We never one time heard Liz talk about how much money she's made. We never... Oh, she made some money. Uh, she never talked to you about that. What I've heard her say, I've heard creativity, I've heard passion, I've heard history, I've heard community, I've heard resilience, I've heard dreaming big, like all of these things. And when you're talking about sort of this life that you've built and the success that you have, I'm hearing it through the lens of creation, which is so rad and I think so inspiring because we often get it wrong. We're chasing the wrong thing. You know, today in conference is all about calling your shot and what's the goal and where do I want to go? And we're so blessed to get an opportunity to hear someone who's built something beautiful and she's not telling you like, I'm going to be a billionaire. By the, you know, like she's not doing the bro thing. Don't worry, Tom's coming up later. He'll do the bro thing for you. But I do just think that that's so beautiful. I mean, it's where I started in this business to begin with was a decision that, you know, with a friend who was sick and dying of AIDS, that I better do something that means something to me. Because you only have one shot, right? And so, and it's easy sometimes to get caught up in the bro thing, particularly when you're in a business full of bros. But it's, I keep coming back to what's important for me, you know. Aaron and I have a three-year-old now. We are also raising yeah. a young man-child. Yeah. yeah, He's so Linden. funny. Yeah. yeah, he's really funny. And if I could teach him anything, it would be those things, those values of curiosity and meaning in what you do, for Very sure. Very cool. Right. Guys, give it up for Liz Lambert. Thanks, Thank you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production.